0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleleroy.com. school locker. A pleasure, pleasure to be back with you. If you'll remember, uh, boy, last time I was with you, uh, some of you might want that kind of weather. we It was January 1, I believe, when I was with you, and we just came off that week of Christmas when it was minus uh, 20 below, something like that. So maybe it's only fitting that I'm with you today when it's one of the warmer days again, right? So I guess you, some of you just like the average, probably, temperature, right? Uh, so I'm going to... Continue. If you remember, if maybe you weren't here back in January, but uh, started a little bit of a series out of 1 Samuel. So we're going to pick up out of the second part of 1 Samuel 16 this morning. Last time I was with you, we looked at that very first part of chapter 16 when Samuel would anoint David to be king as a 16 year old. So here we're going to pick up in the middle of this chapter. And I'm going to start at 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 14, and we'll read through the conclusion of the chapter. So 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. He's not only that, but he's a brave warrior, a man of war, has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse, saying, Send me your son David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And Whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Here ends the reading this morning of God's holy and inspired word. Will you join me as we begin in prayer? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it's through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you make it alive, and you make it applicable to us even today, Lord, these stories of old. And uh, Father, fill our hearts then with your presence might the words of my heart, the meditations of my mouth be pleasing to you, Lord, as you speak to not only me, but to all of us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in light of Labor Day, if we read this passage, it seems as if there's a job opening in the king's palace. And I'm looking at this thinking about, all right, What was it like when you started your first job? What was the interview like? Did you have a resume filled out? Did you need a resume? Uh, My first job, when I came off, I was on the farm, and my father came home one summer, and I was 16 years old, and he said, I was just at the John Deere dealership. Mr. Meyer needs some help, so you can start on Monday. I thought that was going to be a summer gig I didn't have an interview. I didn't fill out any paper. Mr. Meyer, he was just looking at who my father was and judging my father and apparently judging what his son would look like or be like. Well, after high school, I thought I would start college, and, well, that part-time job turned into a full-time job, and for the next altogether 20 years, that was our life. So at age 36, I was starting college, and I've one of my first English classes was learning how to fill out a resume, because it's like, okay, if you're going to get into the job world, you may need a resume. Thing is, when you're feeling called to be a pastor, uh, churches don't look at a resume. They have this church profile they put out, and then... You as a candidate put out your profile, and so resume profile. You're you're trying to put your best foot forward, right? You're you're listing your characteristics, a little bit maybe of family history, a little bit about yourself, the church profile, or your favorite authors, some theological questions. Uh, is the Lord your Savior first of all? And so, when I think of resumes, resumes are really we're writing down the things that we feel are important about our life, and things that might matter. Well, when I look at this passage today, uh, Chuck Swindoll would say, yeah, there's a resume here. It's David's resume, so to speak. But David's not the one who put the resume out there. Did you notice that? Who's listing David's characteristics? Not him, right? Uh, Apparently it's the men in Saul's court, so... Let's look at this passage. We we start off, it's troubling, isn't it? Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. How did we get to this point? Because, uh, after all, it was Samuel who anointed Saul to be the first King of Israel, and, and now we read here we get to chapter sixteen in the middle of it, and we read that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul and uh it was the Lord who sent it. So that raises a theological question. And we'll look at that, but first of all, how did we get here? Well, if we go back to chapter eight, we read that Israel would request a king. So we're we're to the point of, of judges where Israel was leaving the Lord. They would cry out to the Lord. They would come back to him. And and Israel would get to the point where they were worshiping other idols of other countries, other nations. And they would say, Samuel, we want to be like everybody else. So we want a king. And it troubled Samuel. In fact, in the middle of chapter 8, we would read Samuel was displeased with their request. Verse 6. He goes to the Lord for guidance, and the Lord says, Do everything they say to you, for it's me they are rejecting, and not you. It's me they are rejecting. This is already going to give us a clue of why this tormenting spirit, then, is coming upon Saul. So, in between, of course, uh, Samuel would warn the nation of Israel about what a king is going to expect of them. Samuel would be called to meet this man named Saul, who he would anoint. God would put him in place to be the next king. So some would say, well, what, did the Lord change his mind? Well, some authors would say there's a difference here. Saul is a people's king, where David is the Lord's king. So Saul is anointed, we would read that. Earlier in, in 1 Samuel, read that in chapter 10. Uh, interesting enough, as he is anointed, Samuel would tell him about everything that's going to take place. Saul turns to leave. Uh, God would give him a new heart, we would read in chapter 10, verse 9. And Samuel's signs were going to be fulfilled. We would also read them right after that, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul And he, too, would even begin to prophesy. So it's like, all right, the Spirit has been with the Lord. Uh, Later on, chapter 11, we would read again, the Spirit of the God came powerfully upon Saul, and he would become angry. And this is when the, the Ammonites were coming against Israel. So God's Spirit came upon Saul. It came upon him even more powerfully in another way, in a political sense and not just in a spiritual sense. So it's like... Saul is going to be used by God. So, what changed? Well, in between, it seems as if things kind of went to Saul's head. Because there was this continued war with the Philistines, and then we would read in chapter 13, where Saul is disobedient. In the middle of that chapter Saul is staying at Gilgal. His men are trembling with fear because of the enemy. Uh, Saul has waited for seven days for Samuel to come. Samuel's supposed to uh, do the sacrificing, and we we see Saul's impatience. And it's like Samuel isn't coming when he says, I'll take matters into my own hands. So we would read that Saul would do the sacrificing. In chapter 13, verse 10, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrives. Saul goes out to meet him, to welcome him, and Samuel says, What is this you have done? How foolish, Samuel would explain. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God You have not kept it, and the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But, verse 14, now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. So, here we see this transitioning already occurring, because Saul takes matters into his own hands, and in fact it gets to one point in chapter 15 where we would read again that, this is verse 10, then the Lord says to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me. He's refused to obey my commands. So we see the, the reason that the Lord has left Saul is because, well, Saul has really already started by leaving the Lord. He's the one that started it. In fact, it gets to the next point in chapter 15. Here's how much it went to Saul's head. Verse 12, early the next morning, Samuel goes out to find Saul, and someone tells him, Saul went to town that of Carmel, and he went to set up a monument for himself and to himself. And then he went to Gilgal. Sound like a man after God's own heart, a man who's following God's commands? Not really. In fact, later on here, in that same chapter, we'll read verse twenty-three, the middle of that. So, because you have rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. And again, in verse twenty-six, uh, Samuel would reply, "I will not go back with you, since you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as king of Israel." And then the last verse of chapter 15, And the Lord was sorry he ever made Saul king of Israel. That then brings us to this chapter, verse 14. We know in between, Samuel will anoint David. He's already been anointed. Now we see God's sovereign plan starting to fill out. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. So we know the reasons now. You might say, well, why did God leave Saul? No, Saul left God. And God sends this tormenting spirit. So you might wonder, if God's displeased with me today, does God still do that? Does he send tormenting spirits upon us to trouble us, to make us depressed and fearful, uh, I don't believe so. He allows things to happen, but where I go with that is when Christ would come and then when he would promise the Holy Spirit in chapter 14 of John, we read, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. Uh, he, Christ would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he goes on to promise the Holy Spirit this spirit who leads you into truth, and he will never leave you. So I'm thinking for us today, certainly it's not the Lord who leaves us. Uh, we are the ones who leaves the Lord, and it's his Holy Spirit that has been promised to us that I will always be with you. So what's the difference between Saul and David then? This man after a A new heart. Well, we know of David's sin with Bathsheba. But we also know in Psalm 51, David's prayer to the Lord. And I'll read part of that to you. Psalm 51, verse 10. This says David. See, Saul would never repent of his sin. David cries out to God, Lord, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, God. Renew A right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore unto me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. For the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and you will not reject a broken and a repented heart, O God. So here's David, this man after God's own heart that is called into the court of Saul. This job opening, so to speak. And, of course, David's been anointed. He's been out in the field with his father. He's called in underneath Saul's nose, so to speak. And Saul has no idea who this young man is. But some of Saul's servants do. And they recognize the fact that there's this troubling spirit. Let's find a good musician to play the harp whenever the spirit comes upon you. He'll play soothing music and you will soon be made well. All right, Saul says, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. That's why we sing in church today, right? Soothing music soothes the soul, so... Already back in the Bible time and all of the psalms that were put into hymns, uh, there's something about this music that even Saul's servants would recognize. And they say, Saul, first of all, I'm thinking the rest of them might be like, we can't even be with this king, so we've got to find him some help. And we better do it quickly. So one of the servants says to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem, And here's David's resume. Talented harp player. Brave warrior. Man of war. Exercises good judgment. Oh, he he is fine looking, young man. But the most important one is the last one, right? The Lord is with him. Why these characteristics? And again, this isn't David putting himself forward, saying, Uh, here's what I got, here's what I bring to you, I'm a great warrior, I've been out there, I've killed a lion and a bear when they've come against my sheep and my goats, I've taken care of them, I haven't been afraid of them, Uh, I've been taking care of my father's flock, all of that. No, It's, it's as if David's reputation is out there. And it doesn't begin because he's a good warrior or that he's a brave man. His reputation starts, I believe, by the last qualifications that's listed, is that the Lord is with him. He's a man after God's own heart. So what do we make of, of some of these qualifications? And why are they important, first of all? He's a fine, talented harp player. I'm sure out in the field, David had those times when the sheep were grazing. I've been to Israel. I haven't seen a lot of green pastures. that would look kind of like the pastures around here this summer. So it would take some work getting those goats and those sheep out to green pasture. But there had to be some downtime. And we all like downtime in, in the, when we're working. So what does David do in the downtime? Uh, yeah, he doesn't go to his cell phone like we do, do does he? He's got the harp. He's got the music. And not only was it soothing to his own soul, but I believe that it probably soothed the sheep and those that were around. Because you and I, we can influence people by the way we act and and by the way we're um, not agitated. And certainly my mother had sheep years ago, and if you came around the sheep and you were agitated, it didn't take long and they were agitated. And they would run and flee from me. So as David would play, it would calm, I believe, his own spirit. And certainly now we would know that, all right, God is going to use that skill, that gift. Music is a gift. And he would use it to bring David into Saul's presence. kind of wondered how that would play out, don't you? It's like... How's God going to bring David in? And it's not going to happen quickly. I mean, this is going to take years. But God brings David into the palace already, maybe as an understudy, to soothe the soul of Saul. So he's a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war. I know I struggle with that a little bit. How would people know he's a man of war? He's not in Saul's army, although we know by the end of the chapter he's going to be Saul's armor bearer. So there has to be something about his abilities that people notice. The only clue we really get is that in chapter 17, with the fact where David would say to Saul, uh, when a bear and a lion have come, I've clubbed them to death. I've done this to both lion and bear. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine because he has defied the armies of the living God. So certainly we get the understanding that uh, David is not fearful. So uh, he's got the abilities to handle weapons, whether it's a spear or just his staff or his sling. Uh, Some would say, oh, well, they're looking at family. Okay, okay. Chapter 17, we know David's three oldest brothers are in Saul's army. So maybe some are thinking, okay, we're just looking at family history. You know, if you're a farmer, your son's a farmer, or maybe you're the the son of a farmer. So uh, like father, like son. So maybe there's truth to that. Some go back to the, the lineage in Matthew, where David's grandfather would be Boaz, his father is Jesse, and then there's David. So... Uh, Certainly there's this lineage of men, godly men, who are following after the Lord. A man of war. Interesting uh, play on words maybe here. Because we would read here where David is listed as a man of war. And if we go to chapter 17, when David says, I'll face Goliath, Saul would say, There's no way you can fight this Philistine. I'm picking this up in verse 33. And you can't possibly win. You're a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. So if you're thinking of men of war, some are going to think it's Goliath because he is nine feet tall and how old, we don't know. And David, you're, you're a youth. But there's something about David's personality that says He's a man of war. And I'm not so sure that we have to take that in a physical sense. Maybe uh, he's overcome things spiritually. Because certainly when he faces Goliath, it would be because this pagan Philistine has defied Israel's God. Talented harp player. Brave warrior. Man of war. Exercises good judgment. Discernment, right? We say that about somebody. You and I can think of somebody that we would say, they, make, they just make right choices. They exercise discernment. They, they don't jump on the bandwagon right away. They, they hesitate before they speak. They, they're calm. They make wise decisions decisions. He exercises good judgment. I think some of that would come from his family history when I think of Boaz. The little bit we know about Jesse. The next one, a little puzzling, why it's thrown into this. He's a fine-looking young man. I think that's the human aspect of this whole thing. Uh, We judge people from the outside a lot of times, don't we? It's like if they dress good, if they dress right, uh, they must be good people maybe. Uh, I'm not sure why this is included. Especially earlier in chapter 16, when we would read that uh, some of David's qualifications there, that he was, and I'll pick this up in verse 12, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. So I think this is the play off that verse. What do we make if he was dark, handsome with beautiful eyes? Uh, again, uh, in the Old Testament, the the dark part would be ruddy, and also we read that in verse seventeen or chapter seventeen when we read in verse forty two. Goliath looks down toward David, and he sneers at this ruddy-faced boy. So ruddy-faced, the, the, and I'm not a Hebrew expert, not like Pastor Mike is, but there's something about that. So I think we're bringing that out of chapter 16, twice over, and then it goes over into chapter 17. He's dark, he's handsome, he's ruddy-faced, some think of Esau, meaning uh, ruddy can be red complexion, light complexion I, I don't know if we can make anything out of that. Uh, he's handsome he's he's good to look at, I guess uh, God blessed him with with outward appearance as well i th- I think though, so. if we bring into that, he has beautiful eyes I, I read that he's handsome, not from the outside but. I'm thinking they're looking at the inside. And you and I can look at people and if you can look at someone's heart and forget about how they look at the outside, I think that's kind of what they're looking at here because it goes right into that next part. He's a fine-looking young man and the Lord is with him. I think we almost have to put that together. Why is he handsome? Because he has beautiful eyes and the eyes are to his heart. And he's a man after God's own heart. And the Lord is with him. The next part of our chapter plays out. Uh, They send for Jesse. Send me your son David, the shepherd. Jesse responds, sends with him, a donkey loaded with bread. David appears before Saul. He starts serving him. Saul loves him very much. If Saul only knew, right? If Saul only knew that this is the upsurge to me as a king, this is my replacement. There's a job opening here in the palace, and it isn't for just a talented harp player who's going to soothe Saul's soul. The job opening is it's the next king, and he's coming, and he's been ushered in right under Saul's nose, a man after God's own heart compared to someone who wants to make a monument to themselves. And God is going to use David here. And Saul sends for him and says to his father, let David remain here. And In fact, I'm going to make him my bodyguard, and I'm pleased with him. So, how do we apply this passage today to our personal lives? Thinking of Labor Day. Thinking of how God uses us. And my, my own life in particular, it's like, Lord, how could you take a, a John Deere salesman and one day say, I, I want to make you and have you proclaim and sell Christ And introduce him to others. Uh, Beyond belief, you might say, uh, I was pretty comfortable. In fact, for some five years, I would tell my wife Brenda while we were still at the shop, I feel this call and I don't want to be a pastor. I can sell the Lord across my desk to anybody who's coming in. Uh, I don't want to move from my family. I don't want to leave this John Deere business? Uh, Certainly the Lord has his way because, uh, well, in 1997, he would announce that we're not transferring that business to your family, and we have to liquidate it. And it was like, okay, at age 36, I'm starting college. I guess the Lord closes doors, but as we all say, he opens something larger. And he makes happen what he would. So... What does your resume look like today? How do we present ourselves to others of... I pray the best thing that would be included in our resume would be not only our service to the Lord, but that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with me. And do you recognize those times David would use that later on when he's facing Goliath. When he would say, As, uh, I'm not scared of this man, Goliath. As the Lord was with me when I defeated those lion and those bear, he'll, he'll be with me now. So in your relationship with the Lord, sometimes even at our jobs, you can say, Lord, I'm going to look back at those past victories. Where has the Lord been with me? How is he, how is he going to take me from shepherding sheep? to shepherding for David, a kingdom with God's sheep. And here's where it hits for us today. How's God going to use you and me this week? On this Labor Day, you might just say, well, the job I'm at right now seems like a dead end, so um, we'll see where the Lord takes me, or I'll take matters into my own hands and see what I can do. Uh, I pray God uses each of you where you are today, and that... What may seem like a dead-end job is not. God's just grooming you. I mean, remember David, when he's taking care of the sheep, Samuel comes to Jesse and all his sons, and each one passed by Jesse one by one, and Jesse thinks the first one is the one right away, and God says, no, don't judge by outward appearance. I look at the heart And when all of those sons would pass by and Samuel says, uh, the Lord keeps saying, no, 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 no. Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And it's almost like an afterthought. Oh, yeah, there's that last one. He's out there taking care of the sheep. It's like sometimes God uses us in those minimal instances to grow us and to use us. David's experience as a shepherd Certainly was valuable when he would face Goliath, right? His times with the slingshot, it was certainly the Lord who would guide that stone, but it was David's experience using such things. So God wants to use you today. I pray that God's divine favor would be upon you as well. That as he uses us, that we might recognize the Lord speaking into our hearts. So, what do I need to let go of? And what do I need to cling to? We need to cling to the Lord, his faithfulness, as we sung about this morning. He is faithful, and he has a plan for you. I'm sure David was wondering this whole time that he's anointed How am I going to get to the kingdom? How am I going to get to the throne? When is that going to happen? He's only like 16 years old. And we know it plays out over a number of years. But it doesn't take God very long to bring David into the throne room of King Saul. But we also know today there's a greater throne room. And that's when we stand before the Lord one day. Uh, in his presence. I pray you'd feel God's presence this week as you go to work, as God uses you, whatever age you are, and that uh, we might be people after God's own heart. Let's pray. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for using us. Thank you for grooming me way back at age 16 as well, sweeping floors at the Implement Dealership, washing things, working under manure spreaders, getting full of filth and thinking, Lord, how can this go any place? But Lord, you guide and you develop us along the way. You mold us like clay in a potter's hand. And Lord, you are the potter. I'm, I'm the clay. We're the clay. So mold us and make us, as the songwriter would say, after you today. That we might be people after your own heart, Lord. Father, guide us as we go through this week then. At work, use us. Use us for your glory that I don't have to put my resume out there, Lord. People might see that we're different. And there's something different about us. The way we act. The choices we make, Lord. That we stand firm. We are people of war. That we stand, Lord, for you. And then that we might be men and women and children after your own heart, Lord. So help us grow in wisdom and knowledge before you and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.